I want to tell you that this is a Pentecostal church. If you didn't notice by our worship, maybe I need to get the praise singers up here again and start over. Because we are definitely the, a Pentecostal church. But it hasn't always been easy. There's always been accusers, even on the day of Pentecost. So Pentecost began with persecution. The Jews that did not believe in Jesus, and even after did not believe in his resurrection, became very angry at Pentecostal, at the Pentecostal experience. Because Pentecost is not something that just entertains you, but it changes you. And so because it was the real deal that happened in Acts 2.38 and in Acts 2, that it swept across the countryside. And Simon, who was a sorcerer, was converted the Bible says he bewitched them and the people. And the reason why they were so angry was because Simon the sorcerer brought revenue to them. So now Pentecost is digging into their piggy bank. And in Acts 10 it says this, To whom they all gave heed from the least of the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. This is what they thought of Simon the sorcerer. They said, This man is the great power of God. So now they don't want another power to compete with Simon the sorcerer. But I have news for the devil. That the church is alive. The church is well. We shall prevail. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to be stronger than we have ever been because it's brought us to our knees like we've never been on our knees before. It's brought us into prayer rooms and we stayed there longer than we have ever done before. It's bringing us back into the house of God. And we never left God because we wasn't in the house. It's just bringing us together in unity with the Spirit of God. So they were angry because Paul and Silas converted Simon from their cause to the beautiful truth of the experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now I will tell you when the church starts messing with the devil and people are being converted out of his power and from him and out of his clutches, don't kid yourself. We've got a fight on our hands. I just wonder if I'm in the Pentecostal church this morning. We've got a fight on our hands. The enemy really believes he's going to scare the church and keep us from the cause and purpose that God has called us to. And some trust in chariots. And others trust in horses. But we 
Oh, come on. Do I get a witness? But we shall trust in the name of the Lord our God. Who is that? Jesus Christ himself. There's no greater power than the name of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to establish anything, we're going to establish the church on the name of Jesus Christ because that blood still works. Oh, I'm talking to somebody today. That blood still works. The power still works. The resurrection still works. And the gift of the Holy Ghost still works today. It doesn't matter what the world may do. It doesn't matter what the devil will do. The church will survive. Amen. Because we know there is no other name. We understand that there is no other name. We believe in the name of Jesus Christ who is the chief cornerstone. Meaning that is the foundation to which we will build on. It's the footer. It is the thing you can put the wall on. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Every block and every piece of wood will stand firm on the chief cornerstone. If we're going to build this, we're going to build this in the spirit. If we're going to build this, we're going to build this by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If we're going to build this, we're going to build this in our faith and our trust in the God that we serve, that he will bring us through. But when the church starts messing with the devil, he's not going to stay silent. But it's going to continue on. Lydia is converted in Philippi. From there, the move of God's spirit was like a branding fire. And it went all through the city from the least to the greatest of them. It was magistrates. It was governors. Lawyers. Mayors. We started to stand with the church because everything was such a chaos that they said there got to be something more real than what's going on in our world right now. Am I I making my point already? Amen. There's got to be more to this than just what's going on in our world today. You might be Democrat. You might be Republican. You might have a side that you're on, but I'm going to tell you, if you stand on those sides, you will fall. But if you stand on the Word of God and Him being the chief cornerstone, you will win every time. Amen. And it doesn't matter if you're a governor. It doesn't matter if you're an attorney. It doesn't matter if you're a mayor. It doesn't matter if you're a pauper on the street and you're a homeless person. I'm telling you, this blood, this Jesus Christ, the power is still alive. And the church is getting a hold of something that is going to be the greatest movement in our world. Oh, I think we ought to stand to our feet real quick and give the Lord a clap offering of praise. Come on, church. Amen. You may be seated. Lydia is converted in Philippi, and it begins to move in a mighty way. My son-in-law, Matt, preached on Paul and Silas and how they were thrown in prison. By the way, Reverend Hitton, that was a good message. You know the story where they were thrown in prison because they trusted in their God. They sang at midnight. 
They didn't quit singing because of the rioting. They didn't quit singing because they had to wear a mask. They didn't quit singing because they couldn't be in the house of God. They didn't quit singing because of the unrest of political agendas. They didn't quit singing because of the hate between ethnicities. Mm. No, they had a song in the middle of the struggle. At midnight, at midnight they began to sing. The doors flung open. <laughs> when the jailer, seeing that the doors flung open, he was ready to take his life. But yet, Paul said, bring no harm to thyself. We are still here. We're not going anywhere. Our ministry is right here. Our ministry is right here. If we can't save the jailer, Pentecost has got to start right here, right where we are. Oh, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. I've been praying about this message, and in my spirit, I felt like I need to preach this to somebody. That at midnight, you need to keep your song alive. At midnight, you need to keep your hands up. At midnight, you need to still have your dance. You might be in shackles and bonds, but let them shake and dance before the Lord and say, I'm not going to quit. They're not going to shut me down. He said, bring no harm to thyself, for we are still here. And the jailer took them to his house and began to wash their wounds, and his household was baptized. You get the jailer saved, you might be surprised what happens after the jailer's saved. You might not think he's all that important, but I will tell you, this is part of God's plan. Family by family. Oh, you think we've seen revival? We haven't seen nothing yet. Amen. Listen to me very carefully. This church right here, we're generally, before this COVID nonsense happened, we're packed. And pastor was already looking for a building. I don't think it's coincidental that we were looking for a building that was going to be uh, two and a half times his size. You know why? Because we just got information that it's possible they're ready to sell. Now, I'm telling you that because I'm looking for some things going to happen in all of this. God is getting ready to bring the church to the top of the cauldron. And we've been through the fire and we've been sitting there boiling for a long time. But God's bringing some things back to... I said God's getting ready to put some things back together and show that the strong arm of the Lord is still in the earth today. And at midnight... They kept singing. The jailer and his household are saved. Well, now the Jews couldn't find Paul and Silas, so they came to Jason's house looking for them. The Jews were upset because Paul and Silas had disrupted their religious order and their political positions. And in Acts, the 17th verse 
the 17th chapter rather, and the 5th verse, it says this. But the Jews, which believe not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. The 6th verse. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned our world upside down are come hither also. See, Jason was accused of harboring fugitives. And we call that home Bible studies. But they call it fugitives. And they were accused. But Jason... And all other believers were being accused on the evidence that they had turned the world upside down. Accused. This passage was according to the Jews of Thessalonica who were the religious ones. Now listen to me very carefully. They were the ones that should have known what this was all about. But they became religious and completely missed the experience. And they would not receive the experience of the resurrected Christ, but instead would reject it because they were more in tune with their society and its religion than they were with the message of the Holy Ghost. And see, I will tell you today, I believe that religious people are more many times the ones who fight against the truth in anyone. Because when I have been teaching people Bible studies, it's hard to teach someone that already knows everything and are not open to revelation. See, because sometimes you've got to get past the intellect of your understanding and get into the revelation of God's Word. Because if you're only looking at it from an intellectual standpoint, you will never receive the great nuggets of truth that God wants to put inside you. That's why I said it has to fall on good ground. Seed has to fall on good ground. Word has to fall on good ground. So religious people are many times the ones who fight against the truth. It's like... Changing batteries when the batteries are not the problem. You come into church and get filled up but never get fixed. You come in and you say, man, I'm going to get my batteries filled. But you walk out and you're never fixed and you're never changed. And you wonder why that feeling didn't do you any good in your life. But somewhere... When you come to the house of God, you can't just be entertained by all this. 
you got to get to the place where you say, okay, why is it that I go on Wednesday and somehow it don't last me until Sunday? And then I go on Sunday and I got to go back down to the altar and repent and ask God to forgive me again. And then I go on Wednesday and have to ask God to forgive me again. Again and again and again and again. Well, you're just getting new batteries put in, but you're definitely not getting fixed. And all the while, the Lord is saying, look, 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 you become religious. Oh, I'm talking to somebody today. Religious. Religion can't save you. That's why I don't tell people to look for a church to go to. I tell people to look for an experience that they can have. Because if you look for the experience, God is going to show you through his spirit what that experience is. Oh, I will tell you, there's some Baptist people that have this experience. There's some Presbyterians that have this experience. I've got some Methodist friends that have this experience. Don't you get on your high horse and on your religious uh, uh, throne and think that you're better than all of them. I think God's doing a work in this, in this hour and in this generation unlike we have ever seen before. And if we can get people to understand the experience is what's important. You come to the house of God so you can find the experience. That's what we need to look for. Don't look for religion. Don't look for church. Churches. Don't say, well, I go to a Baptist church or I go to a Pentecostal church or I go. Don't, don't, just, just quit worrying about that. Get in the word. Find out for yourself. Get a message that Paul and Silas wanted them to hear and let them know that this was the truth that could change their lives. Amen. This church is not a religious church. This is an apostolic Pentecostal blood-bought, buried in the name, speaking in tongues, and full of the Holy Ghost church. Do I get a witness that stand on your feet and give God some glory? Come on, give God some glory. Amen. You may be seated. The batteries only work if you're willing to get fixed. The spirit can only work if you're willing to Allow it to fix you. Everywhere, Paul, Silas, and even Jason would go. They would always leave the evidence of truth. They were accused on the evidence that they had turned the world upside down. Now, I'm going to get a little pastoral. But the real question is, what evidence do you leave? What evidence do you leave when you're with your friends? Are you talking politics or are you talking Bible? I know what some of you are talking about because you can't keep it off Facebook. What kind of evidence do you leave when you're in the lunchroom or you're with your family? What are you leaving to your children? Is there anything there that says you have been at the cross and his blood is all over you? Because when you walk out of that prayer room, you ought to have blood all over you. And if anybody was ever to check the DNA, they would accuse you of the evidence that you've been at the cross. Ah, come on, somebody. The world needs to see this. The world needs to know this. 
Amen. That we are the people that love the cross and we want that blood in us. The blood. I'm telling you, I have talked about this and I don't know why, Brother Wilson, recently, I just feel this in my spirit that we need to get back to the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. We need to get back to the evidence that we are the people that are called by his name, that are turning our world upside down and we're not going to back up and we're not going to step aside from every devil and every demon, anything that tries to stand in the way, we will stand shoulder to shoulder in faith with the Spirit and say, we shall overcome. Because when you've been with God, you're going to look like it. When you've been with God, you're going to smell like it. When you've been with God, you're going to talk like it. Even you're going to walk like it. Marching to the sound of a different drummer than this world. And the world knows when you have been with Jesus, they see it all over you. And they will say, these are those people that were in acts that turned the world upside down. That's why in Psalms 23, 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm not going anywhere. I am established in the house of the Lord. We need to get back to some of this. I said we need to get back to some of this. We need to get back. 5% of reported church members do not exist. 10% cannot be found. 20% never pray. 25% never read their Bible. 30% never attend church. 40% never give to any cause. 50% never go to Sunday school. 60% 60% never go to church on Sunday nights. Can't do that here anyway. 70% never give to missions. 75% never engage in any church activity. 80% never go to prayer meetings. 90% never have family worship. And 95% never win a soul. A lot of people who call themselves Christians have very little evidence to prove that they should be accused. When forensic detectives come to a crime scene to investigate, they look to find shoe marks, blood, and whose blood might be there. A weapon, a knife, a gun to match the bullet to take ballistics. They lay out the scene from hair, skin, bone, and even a thread to collect DNA. Two things happen at the crime scene. DNA is left at the crime scene. And DNA is also on those who are involved in the crime scene. That's why Jesus says in John six fifty six, he says, He that eateth my flesh... And drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. He says right there, if you're really my children, you've been at the crime scene. And it's all over you, 
And when you walked away from the cross, everybody who sees you that have been at the cross can say, you're accused. Because the DNA of his blood is all over you. And if they can't find the DNA on you, they may even want to double check. When they see it on you, they might go back to the cross. Then they find your blood mingled with his blood. Oh, come on. <laughs> I am in him and he is in me. You can't take me out of him and you can't take him out of me. And once I am unified with that spirit, I'm going to stay in the house. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Amen. I'm going to stay in the house because I know that's where the blood is. That's where the blood is. Oh, what is the house? The house is the temple of the living God. It's not a place, but it is an experience you have with him. It's a spiritual house that we come into and we join and commune with our God. He left his, crime, uh, left his blood at the crime scene. Now I have his blood all over me. Now I'm proud to say I'm an accessory to the crime. I'm proud to say what they accused him of, they can accuse me of. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't need the popular vote. I don't need positive uh, peer pressure. All I need is Jesus himself. And I am at the crime scene being accused of the very thing he was accused of. That's why I can tell you that at the crime scene, he will heal the sick. At the crime scene, he will deliver the demented. At the crime scene, he will drive out the demons. At the crime scene, he will touch the hurting. At the crime scene, he will give hope to the confused. At the crime scene, he will give direction to the lost. At the crime scene, he will give food for the hungry. At the crime scene, he will give water to the thirsty. At the crime scene, he will mend the broken lives. At the crime scene, he will bless the bereaved. At the crime scene. He will give purpose to the depressed. At the crime scene, he will save the lost. At the crime scene, he will set the addicted free. At the crime scene, he will remove the false hope of false teaching. At the crime scene, he will give you the truth. At the crime scene, he will give you what you need. At the crime scene, when his blood is all over you, you will be accused of those that are turning the world upside down. Hmm. Jesus was convicted and sentenced to death where he was beaten, wounded, blood spilling from the veins of a perfect man. Thorns shoved down on his head as the blood would drip in his eyes, but every drop blood was an opportunity for you to be accused that's why Jesus even says in Matthew 16 24 he said then Jesus said to the disciples if any man will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross 
and follow me. This passage says that when you're at the cross, you're being implicated in his crime. In Romans, the sixth chapter and the fifth verse says this, for if we have been planted together, for if we have been planted together in the likeness, in the likeness, in the likeness, in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Planted together means that we're in the same place where Jesus accused him, you and I possibly will also be accused. But many people only see the part of suffering but cannot rejoice because they don't see the future of his resurrection. See, what you're going through now doesn't mean it's final. It's a comma, not a period. It's not the end of the book. You've got to remember who the author and the finisher of our faith is. He's the writer and author of the book. And many times we get caught up in, what are we going to do? How are we going to survive this? My phone has been blowing up where people are asking me, Pastor, is this the end times? Are we looking in the face of the Antichrist? Pastor, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And the greatest answer I can give to all of this rhetoric that's going around about what's happening in our world today and the politics and the news and all of that, the best answer I can give is... Don't judge your faith just on death. God's got a plan for a resurrection. And if you're not careful, all you see is doom and gloom, persecution, opposition. And sometimes we get stuck on that, the death, the death. What good was the death if he didn't raise from the dead three days later? There would have been no use for him. Brother Bartlett. He even told them, destroy this body and destroy this temple, 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 and in three days I'll raise it up again. How foolish is the devil to be told the plan and still has a hand in on executing the plan? more ways than one. He had a hand in the fulfillment of the plan that God had already set in motion. Don't kid yourself. The devil don't have any power right now. You think he may? I rebuke that spirit right now in the name of Jesus Christ. The devil does not have power. Kings Presidents, governments, countries, ambassadors, 
none of them have the power to overthrow the plan of God. So when you lay your head down on your pillow tonight, don't you worry about all this stuff because we're facing a resurrection. Ah. And the resurrection is going to come when at midnight we keep praying. At midnight we keep seeing. At midnight they accuse us of the ones that are turning the world upside down. Why? Because we won't settle for anything less than a resurrection. And his blood is all over us. Mm. Mm. His blood is all over us. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. Come on. Yeah. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Yes, yes, yes. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. And my God will never fail. Oh, my God will never fail. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory for the Let's all stand for just a moment. Come on, while we worship the Lord here today. Come on, while we worship the Lord. Come on, let's just take the time and bask in the presence of God.
take what the enemy meant for evil. And you die. 